0: Welcome back to another episode of the Edward Mullen Podcast. I am, of course, Edward Mullen, and uh, I don't really have an agenda, uh, nor do I have a guest this morning, but I thought I'd just kind of ramble on for however long it takes me to get my thoughts out. So it's eight, around 8.30 in the morning on Saturday, July 13th. So let's get this party started. Cue the music. Wait, who am I talking to? I'm sitting here by myself, goddammit. Okay, so I just woke up, I walked Sarah to the Skytrain station because she has to go to work, and yeah, I'm about to get into some writing, I have two writing projects on the go, I'm gearing up to release uh, my second novel, which is my third book, and it's called Prodigy, Uh, maybe I'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, I basically just have to polish that up and get it ready, I'm going to release it probably the end of August, I think it'll be ready, so... I'm excited for that. Um, I also have another project on the go, which is a novel I'm working on, and it's completely on hold at the moment because I have to get ready for this uh, Prodigy launch, because if I want to get it out on time, I have to devote all my time to that. So yeah, that's so. those are basically my writing projects. Um, I'm also still writing my blog once in a while. You'll see I used to post every week but now not so much. That's for two reasons. One, I'm really busy. Two, it's hard to come up with creative blog posts each week. I mean, I don't have a lot of things that inspire me to write 500 words on that I haven't already talked about. So, I mean, there's lots of things, but it, it takes time. And I've just been really busy with the other two projects. You know the most popular ones that I write are about movies. So maybe that's kind of direction I'll go. I'll just write about movies. but the most the ones that I write about are just like explaining movies or you know attempting to explain movies, but um, not every movie needs explanation, right. And I also don't want to write critiques. I don't want to be a a critic, right because because that's kind of shitty. I mean, you're just some dude and then somebody put a lot of hard work into something. And then you shit all over it. You pick out the bad parts. So I deliberately don't write those, even though I could, because I don't want to be that guy. So yeah, when I I see a movie that I like and I have some comments about it, I will try to write more of those. I saw The Great Gatsby, which is not the latest movie I saw. I think I saw Superman or The Man of Steel. That might have been the latest one. But I saw Great Gatsby, and I thought it was pretty good. I actually have a copy of *The Great Gatsby* at home, uh, a book that I never read, so I'm starting to read it, and it's identical to the movie so far. I mean, you can totally picture Jay Gatsby when you read it as Leonardo DiCaprio. It's it's pretty remarkable. So, you know, shouts out to Leo. He did a he did a really good job. Not that I'm friends with Leo or anything, but shouts out to him anyway. So what else is new? I uh, picked up some books lately. I bought Jules Verne. It's it's like a hardcover called Seven Novels. And it has Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, to the moon and back. It's got a bunch of them. It's like this beautiful red hardcover. And I got that on Amazon. Then I got another hardcover, uh, Mark Twain. It's got five novels in it, which is Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, that kind of stuff. And that's a beautiful book as well. And then I got another book called How the Hippies Saved Physics, which I realized very shortly into reading it. I'm about 100 pages in that I'm probably too stupid to read the book. There's this thing called Schrodinger's Cat, which intrigued me. And I'll try to explain it. I watched. I don't understand it. And I watched a YouTube video. And I still don't understand it. And I showed it to my girlfriend, Sarah, who is... You know, much smarter than I am, and she kind of didn't really explain it to me very well. But basically, this guy is saying, this Schrodinger guy who is a physicist and I believe a contemporary of Einstein, I'm not sure, he had this famous experiment, a thought experiment that said if you put a cat in a room in like a vault and you couldn't see it, you kind of closed the door, and then there was some gas that had a 50% chance of you know, some poisonous gas had a 50% chance of killing the cat or not killing the cat. Then after one minute, you open the hatch and you look, the cat is either dead or alive. But before you open the hatch, it's both dead and alive. It's kind of like in a superposition. Uh, that's where they lost me. I don't, I don't really get that. They said that if you, by you looking at the cat, it determines the cat's fate. And I don't really understand that. And then they said, well, if that's true, then who's looking at us to determine our fate? Okay, that's where the argument breaks down. I have no idea what they're talking about. But um, it's basically about this thing called quantum entanglement. Well, so far, I'm only 100 pages in, but that is really fascinating stuff. There's also a thing called uh, morphic resonance, which may be... They don't mention morphic resonance, but it's another concept which I've heard about where... Uh, You know, I think the the 100th monkey principle, Malcolm Gladwell talks about that. I think that's the same concept where they teach a monkey to wash a potato in a stream to get the dirt off and he shows another monkey and and that monkey shows another monkey. And as soon as a 100 monkeys know that technique, suddenly the technique is used by monkeys on different parts of the world at the same time who have never been shown that technique. And I guess the implication is that I, I don't know maybe the idea can travel maybe once the idea is large enough it can actually travel and ideas are tangible independent uh, i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about but anyway this morphic resonance there's another example where you know those like cattle guards on in farms that which prevent cattle from escaping your property so sometimes you'll drive over them they're like a series of bars that stretch out you know, across the road and uh, cows and sheep and whatnot, they get their hooves caught in them and they avoid it. They don't want to cross it. Well, anyway, these animals are so afraid of that, that, that you can actually put a picture of a cattle guard and that will be enough to deter them to stay away. But apparently these sheep have discovered a way where you can lay down on the, the, on the cattle guard and roll across it. And then you stand up on the other side and you can escape. And as soon as one sheep figured that out, it's almost like that idea became uh, born. It spawned into existence or whatever. And other sheep started to do it. So one explanation is that, you know, it takes a certain amount of time or thought power to think of an in- ingenious idea. So the, she- the say the sheep in New Zealand figures that out and a sheep in Texas figures that out and they have no connection whatsoever, they figure it out at the same time. It's not necessarily that the idea is traveling, it could just be that it takes that amount of time from when the sheep is born to when they figure that out idea and those sheep's were both born or sheep were both born at the same time. It's something it could be something like that. Or it could be uh, what I'm reading in this quantum entanglement, which I I can't explain, I won't be able to do justice to explain it, but uh, it's essentially when two particles, and I'm probably getting this wrong, but from what I understand, it's basically when two particles interact with each other at one point in time. They are forever linked. So if something happens to one particle, you know, like an atom or a subatomic particle or something like that, the other one will also behave that way as well. So you'll hear sometimes in physics where you'll have like the observer, I don't know what it's called, something where you uh, just merely by observing something, you affect the result. And it's not that your viewing changes the particle's behavior, because that would be weird. What they mean is that your attempt to measure that particle affects the behavior of that particle. So they're thinking, well, what if we... well. I, I'm not really sure. I should preface this. I, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but this is basically what I understand. What if you had one particle uh, that you don't observe and one particle that you do observe, you could learn about the unobserved particle from the other one because they had contact with each other, something like that. But that, that's probably wrong. But there's some fascinating things in um, in physics, in quantum, quantum physics, that suggests that particles who interact with each other they're, they're linked and if that's true and we're all you know this kind of buddhist notion that we're all one that we're all kind of just particles floating around arranged in certain ways then an idea can kind of travel like a a, a sheep having an idea to roll across a cattle gate might actually cause a, a physical thing change which you know fires synapses in another sheep's brain who are not connected but maybe once were or, or something maybe we're all in this kind of like energy grid network whereby you press a switch you know a switch is not a good term but think of it like you, you press a switch on one part of the world and actually it does connect to another switch on the other part of the world because it is somehow connected through a series of you know like on a grid network and it's all around us, and we just don't see it. You know that's possible, and that's probably what it is. If I had to, if I had to guess. So, so yeah, that's really fascinating. The other fascinating thing, which I kind of mentioned, is how we are all particles arranged in certain ways. I mean, there's this uh, problem that uh, comes up in metaphysics that's called uh, the boundarylessness problem, and I find that really fascinating. Even though I might not be able to capture its its fascination you know it's it's more fascinating to me but i can't explain it to other people and have them be as fascinated as i am but i will try um, basically that the, the idea the argument is that there's nothing there's no boundaries to things you know we think like oh there's a table there's a, a chair a pencil uh, there's a cat i mean these all have edges we know where the cat begins and ends. We know this is definitely the table. This is definitely not the table. But actually, it gets it gets interesting because when you get small enough and you realize that these particles are not bound together, they're just kind of floating in this arrangement, if you will, in a table-wise position, then it becomes kind of weird. And there's some uh, famous examples. Uh, one's called the... Well, not famous, but there's some examples used. One's called the Sorites Paradox, and I believe that's either Greek or Latin for heap. And essentially what it, what it attempts to show is that if you have a heap of something, let's say rice, you can point to it and say, yes, that is definitely a heap. But if you have one grain of rice, it's definitely not a heap. So the question is, at what point do we add grains of rice to the... Pile with only one grain, and at what point does it change from a single grain to a heap? I mean, it doesn't seem like it becomes a heap after two grains of rice, although one could make the argument that it does, and it's not clear that three grains of rice make it a heap, or four, or five, but eventually it will become a heap, and you won't know which grain of rice caused it to push it over the edge from non-heapness to heapness, and this is another example um, that comes up with uh, voting age and driving and and the age of majority, which is the legal threshold of when you're declared an adult. And this, all these paradoxes, um, are kind of line drawing fallacies because all these ages are just arbitrary lines in the sand that lawmakers or society or whoever have decided. But there's no real good reason for that age versus another age. And it's not clear-cut whether somebody is mature at that age, but we're not mature the day before that age. Uh, another example is clouds. You know, we point to a cloud in the sky, and like, that's a thing. It's a cloud. But actually, when you get close to it, the particles aren't connected to one another. It's it's a big scattered mess. So So that's not actual thing we we call that we have a name for that as a cloud but actually when you get to it it's just a bunch of particles arranged cloud-wise but if you break everything down everything is like that if we get deep enough there is no essence to something Uh, a tree for instance what parts of a tree are essential to that tree to make it a tree doesn't seem like every piece of that tree is essential. I could strip away bark and leaves and it will still be a tree. I could take away branches uh, and and part of the trunk. It will still be a tree. I could dig up some of the roots. It'll still be a tree. But eventually I will get to something that's not a tree. But I won't be clear what piece I took away that made it a tree. What was the defining particle or piece that turned it from non-tree to tree? And if everything is like that, you know, humans. Like we can shed skin, and we can we can cut off arms, and we can uh, get haircuts, and and nothing. It seems like nothing is essential to us, except perhaps uh, maybe life or a soul or whatever. But then that's kind of weird. What what is that? What is a what is what is a soul? Right? Can you divide a soul? I don't know. Maybe. So so yeah, that's kind of weird. And that's um, you know some metaphysical philosophical stuff that I find interesting that other people probably don't so what does this have to do with anything uh, I don't know it's it's interesting but it kind of got me thinking about how this this quantum entanglement and this morphic resonance and how ideas could be actual things in the universe and if you think about it you know everything that we built, uh, every building, every novel we write, every whatever you build, like a computer or something, that was all an idea at one point. Somebody had an idea, put it into the world, and it became something. It became, it, it came into existence, which it otherwise didn't exist. And then, of course, other people uh, get into it and then they improve it, right? And that seems to be a general theme of human human nature. We... Are progressing toward i don't know what toward a singularity where we where the where the lines between humanity and technology uh aren't really clear and some say we may already be there we are tethered to our iphones or or we're changing the behavior of of human beings just simply by introducing technology into our our existence which is actually fascinating if you notice You'll, you'll be on like the bus or something and every single person or nearly every single person but they will have their head down staring into their smartphone or tablet or whatever, some sort of technological device plugged in with their headphones and they're not talking to people. In fact, it's, it's so funny if you live in an apartment building like I do. I live eight feet from my neighbor and I've never met them and it's totally changing these like vertical cities. Uh, you know, I guess Vancouver is considered a to some extent where i live a vertical city and we're stacked on top of each other there's really no sense of community we don't know each other and we don't try to get to know each other in fact we try to avoid each other at all at all costs right you'll see sometimes you'll be running to the elevator and somebody'll have their finger on the, the the closed door button they're like yeah you take the next one pal because i don't want to be in this close space with you um or something like that and uh and that's really interesting if you think about how technology is now modifying behavior. So, you know, sometimes you'll go to like, I don't go to nightclubs, but when I did, uh, let's say like six years ago or something, and not that I went a lot six years ago, I, I maybe went, I don't know, a handful of times in the last decade, but the last time was six years ago. And there's a bunch of people on smartphones, like tagging themselves or texting friends. It's like, hey, you're out, you're out right now you don't need to worry about what's happening on Facebook. You know, people on Facebook are wondering where you, what you're doing. You're doing is what you're doing should be way more exciting than this online world. But, you know, and, and we don't even like uh, phone. I don't never call people anymore uh, to the point where, you know, I should probably just cancel my, my cell phone plan. Uh, I don't think I've got a phone call in, in years. I just, well, that's not true, but you know what I mean? Like I just text everybody and I don't even pay for text. I use WhatsApp and it's all free. So, and I don't even need to pay for a cell phone plan because there's, you know, Wi Fi and, you know, pretty much anywhere I go. So, so yeah, that's, um, that's really interesting. And how we just text each other and email people and we don't really interact with people. And it becomes to the point where those skills and those people skills might be lost. And eventually it could be the case that, you know, you know, the gray aliens, the, the grays, they are usually very stoic, like monotone, no emotion, uh, really big heads, uh, really little bodies, skinny arms, all that kind of stuff. Well, there's some people who've hypothesized that that is actually uh, a future human race, maybe not necessarily from Earth, but, but, but possibly from Earth. And the idea is that if you have technology into your life uh, so much so, you fill your head with knowledge, your brain is going to get bigger. And that seems to be true. I, was, I just read this book by Carl Sagan, which is called The Dragons of Eden. And it's not a new book. It's from, I believe, 1977. but And it's interesting. This is a side note. It's interesting because he talks about technology and what technology will be in the future. And he gets it right. He talks about like, yeah, here, let me, let me get that because um, I marked it in the book. One sec. All right, so I found the place in the book. It's on page 216, uh, second paragraph. It says, perhaps someday it will be possible to add a variety of cognitive and intellectual prosthetic devices to the brain, a kind of eyeglass for the mind. This would be in the spirit of the past accretionary evolution of the brain and is probably far more feasible than attempting to reconstruct the existing brain. Um, it is also funny because when he's talking, which is I believe in like the 70s when this book was written, he's talking about the like how the astonishing power of the computer is is like mind boggling. He's like it's so crazy that you can play a game of tic tac toe or a game of checkers. It's like he's like oh it's had the processing speed of like what would be something like equivalent to like. A calculator or something, something like one megabyte. And then on page two twenty three he says there are two hundred thousand digital computers in the world today. In another decade there will likely be tens of millions. In another generation, I think that computers will be treated as perfectly natural or at least commonplace aspect of our lives. Yeah, he was totally right. Which is really cool to, to see someone talk about that in the seventies. But um He also talked about there's kind of a limit to human brain size because of the woman's ability to give birth. You can't fit a big head through their pelvic bone or something like that. So you have to have a a baby born with a certain size head. But then if you have a cesarean section, you could have a baby with a big head or maybe have have a baby in like a lab kind of setup, right? And therefore, if that's true, then the there is no limit to the size of the how the brain can grow. And then if you have, uh, you know, a lot of people are lethargic with, with technology. They have cars that move them around and elevators that move them up and down stairs. And uh, they can order things from their, their, their internet that just gets shipped right to their house. They don't have to go out. So if that's true, then people will become, you know, the muscles won't necessarily be required anymore. A lot of people build muscles for vanity. It's not really that functional anymore. We don't do a lot of lifting. Most people don't. So muscles are out, and also if there's a situation where resources get scarce, then the people that are that are smaller are have a better chance to survive because they don't need as much uh, food. You know, somebody like Brock Lesnar, some massive, gargantuan human being, that takes a lot of food to to fuel that person, and he might he might die in a situation where, well, you know, I don't know, he, he'd probably get a sword and hack people's heads off and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, or not ideally, but theoretically larger people would perish and the small people would, would survive. So, okay. So we have a small human being with no muscle definition with big heads. What else? Well, maybe from the depleting ozone, the, the UV rays from the sun would change our skin tone. So we become gray. You know, that that might be possible in the future. Maybe not now. I don't see any gray humans. But it's possible that circumstances will change, which uh, the sun will turn us gray. Okay, what about the large eyes? Well, that also could be from the sun to shield us from the, the harmful ultraviolet light waves. So instead of wearing glasses, you just develop eyes that are good for the sun. So you have a big head from technology skinny arms small body gray skin big eyes well also the kind of stoic nature that very kind of um emotionless way of thinking well we already have human beings like that they're called autistic people and and some of them are really brilliant right you have people that can that are like mathematical geniuses or that can draw a picture you know they'll see a landscape once and then be able to draw a picture of it perfectly or near perfectly where they're drawing like curtains and street signs and they know all the 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 license plate numbers it's incredible that you can see it on YouTube so yeah it's not a logic it only takes a few steps to get from human being to alien and it's really interesting to kind of watch people's behavior change from when you were a kid cuz when i grew up in the 80s we didn't have cool technology we had like crappy TVs and there's no cell phones and and we had like rotary dial telephones and there was technology but it wasn't that good. But now technology is so good and it seems to be like a form of escapism because life can kind of get you down sometimes. You're working at a job that you don't want to be at and you come home and you play Call of Duty where you get to be a hero and and rescue people and go on missions and have a, have a community, but you don't have to see people, but you can talk online. That seems like a lot of fun, right? So why wouldn't you do that? Or you get to read about things that become available instantly through through the internet. So yeah, of course, I'm not condemning people that use their smartphone or, or the internet because I do that too, but it is interesting to see how people, how it changes their behavior to become less emotional and maybe even the context of our our speech is is affecting the way human beings behave. Like when we send an email or text message, there is no emotion there, uh, unless you send like an emoticon. But you know, sometimes you'll send like sarcasm, and the other person on the other end won't won't be able to pick it up because the tone is not there. It's it's it offends them, right? So you have to. I don't know. It's really weird. You have to write in a certain way that's very emotionless. So if that's true and fast forward a thousand years or whatever, 10,000 years, if we're still around, then it's not a far-fetched idea that we become small, skinny, gray aliens with super large brains. And that's kind of what I talk about in Prodigy, which is set a hundred years in the future has an autistic girl as the main lead, the protagonist. She has a form of autism called synesthesia, which is a Greek word. Synest uh, means together. So basically what it means is like you're, when your brain thinks of something, it, it uses one faculty of your brain. But with synesthesia patients, all their faculties lend a hand into thinking about this thing. So when they think of objects, they see an object in their mind's eye, they They smell it. They attribute numbers to it. They, I don't know, have emotions about it, you know, that kind of thing. So everything is firing on all cylinders. So their, their capacity for learning and knowledge is incredible. And there's this guy that, which inspired me to write the book. There's this guy on David Letterman. I don't know what his name is, but you can Google like synesthesia, David Letterman. And this guy is crazy because he's very high functioning. You wouldn't necessarily know that he's autistic, and I think he talks about... I watched this video three years ago when I wrote the book, so I have I can't really remember much about it, but what I do remember is that he learned something crazy like 27,000 decimals after pi, and did it on live TV where he's just rambling off numbers and it took him like eight hours. And he said that he's like, I can keep going. It's just, there's no point. I proved my point. I mean, and he had a bunch of people checking the numbers. So he was rifling off numbers and people were checking it to see if he made a mistake and he didn't make a mistake. And David Letterman, I believe, uh, asked if he can still remember it. He says, yeah, I still remember. I won't forget it. He also learned Icelandic language, which is apparently the hardest language in the world to learn. If you're not born in Iceland, you won't learn it or it's very difficult to learn, something like that. So this guy learned it in about a week. And he said maybe some other faculties, Like even though he appears to be high-functioning, there's other faculties that may be lacking, like you know certain emotional connections with people. And maybe he doesn't get sarcasm or he doesn't get jokes or he's not, something like that. But, and there's another autistic kid who's like 12 who did a TED Talk and and he's a genius. But you... Yeah, and there, there doesn't seem anything wrong with him. So my my th- premise for the book is like, what if you had uh, one of these kids learn in a particular way where, you know, instead of reading a book where we remember 10% of it, we remember everything about it. And then I thought, well, instead of reading 100 years in the future, reading might be obsolete. We'd probably just upload it to our brain in seconds, right? how cool would that be if you could just download an entire library into your brain and have access to every fact, every sentence, every word, you know, forever, you'll never forget it. So that's kind of what I have. And, uh, these people, the future have that technology, uh, where they can do that. Um, but it, it's limited to the brain capacity of people. You can't just store everything just like on a, On a USB drive, it has, you know, 8 gigs or whatever, and then it's maxed out. Well, that would be similar to human beings. But what if some human beings don't have that limitation? Uh, The main character named Alex Gray, which is short for Alexandra Gray. And I was just thinking about this yesterday. The name Gray, remember I told you how the evolution of human beings will eventually become alien? Or, you know, that's like one possibility that people have speculated on. Well, those aliens, if you don't know, they're called the Greys my character undergoes a similar sort of evolution in the sense that she becomes an evolving species that maybe doesn't resemble human. I don't want to say she's like a beast or anything. She's human, but I'm just saying that she can do things that ordinary human beings can't do uh, today. And even in her generation, she is brilliant even among her peers. So her last name happens to be gray and i don't remember i wrote that book two years ago and i can't remember why i picked the last name gray but it's a strange coincidence if the this is one step towards the grays and her last name happens to be gray i don't know i thought that was kind of interesting sometimes when i write books i i write connections that would seem like i plan them But I didn't plan them. It's like it happens like so perfectly. It's like, wow. People are gonna think that I planned that, but I just didn't. I I just happened to be scribbling things on a on a word processor and that came out, which happens to connect to something I wrote uh, eight chapters ago or something like that. So so that was kinda cool. And yeah, so that that's basically it. I don't I don't wanna give away too much, but you'll pretty much get that from like the blurb on the back. So so that's not really that big of a spoiler. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with some writing projects and some books that I've read. And uh, what else? I'm going on a trip in October. I'm going to like an Asia trip. Last year, if you followed me on uh, Twitter, I started posting a bunch of videos. And I, I uploaded them to my, my YouTube page, which if you actually go to my website, edwardmullen.com, and you click on videos... You'll scroll through the whole list of videos, but you won't see any of the Europe trip. And the reason I did that is because I just got lazy. I just skipped that whole section. If you want to look at those European trips, because I didn't think they're that interesting. They're interesting for me, but nobody really wants to see a slideshow of your trip. And it's not a, necessarily a slideshow, even though some parts of the video I make it a slideshow. But, you know, there are videos where I went to, like, the catacombs in Paris where I'm I'm walking down, like... I don't know how deep it is, like a hundred meters below the city. And it's all like bones. I can't remember, like has like 5 million dead people down there, all stacked, all these skulls stacked on top of each other. And, uh, and that's really cool. I got a video of that, even though I, I probably shouldn't have a video. I think there's no f- photography or, or film there. Oh no, I think you can take pictures. There's no flash, but we did it. Uh, cause we're bad, but, oh, by the way, and I think I talked about this in the, in the, in the catacomb video, we got there one day at like 2 PM or 3 PM. And there was like f- a thousand people lined up around the block. So I walked to the front of the line. I go, Hey man, uh, when's a good time? When is it? Is it always like this? Is this crowd going to die down? They're like, no, the crowd is always this packed unless you come in the morning. First thing I'm like, okay, when is when is it open? I think they said nine o'clock. Well, we were there at like seven thirty. I think we got there like an hour and a half before and we were like the number one person for an hour. And then people started showing up. what, what, what was awesome about that is that when you get down there, uh, you walk down these stairs, I believe, I can't really remember. You walk down this set of stairs and you get to a room with a bunch of with a bunch of facts on it to talks about like the construction and the history well that's a bottleneck of people that flood that room and start reading those things what we did is we just pressed on like we'll read about that in the pamphlet we'll read about that online let's just move so we actually got like a 15 minute head start where we just were the only ones down there in any direction and it's like i don't know two miles it's something crazy like that so you look in both directions there's not a single person around just me and sarah and there's five million dead people just miles of dead people it was really creepy so that was another advantage of going first you get to experience it in a way that maybe you wouldn't if you're in the middle of the pack and there's a bunch of sweaty people breathing and talking and you you might not get that same experience we were it felt like we're the only ones down there Which was very cool. And then we went to Greece, which is awesome. If you don't know, you know, I have a blog called Plato's Academic. I have a cat named Socrates. Some of the photos I have, I'm wearing a Socrates shirt or like the death of Socrates. Uh, I've got the, the Raphael's School of Athens, I think the painting is called. I have that in my background, which. You can see, oh, I have a degree in philosophy. So I'm a huge philosophy nerd. And um, so, to, so going to Greece was really important to me. So I have a video of that, of me going to Plato's Academy and me going to, you know, the walking the footsteps of uh, some of my heroes like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. So that was really cool. And I uh, went to, well, whatever. The point is we went to Europe, went for like a month. Well, this year we're going to Asia so I'll probably post a lot of those videos as well as they happen. I usually take the video, you know, whatever, like a minute. And then I get back to the hotel, I upload it. And then when I get home, I'll usually make it nice. I'll put a, I'll blend it together with some music or something like that. But we're going to Hong Kong, not in this order, but we're going to Hong Kong, Malaysia, Burma, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia. I think that's it. And, um, What's, what's interesting is Burma, I don't know much about Burma, but apparently it used to be called Myanmar or something like that. They had this really oppressive government that basically was like a totalitarian state. They, did, they didn't let you do anything, and you get thrown in jail for, for a lot of different things. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, it was bad, and a lot of people that lived there were really oppressed. And recently, relatively recently, they opened up the state or the country to tourism. And they're a little bit more lenient on some of the laws. They say, you know what? We're not going to throw you in jail for speaking your mind. We're not going to throw you in jail for doing such and such. Everything's cool. You know, it's not, it's not like fricking Canada or something, but it's like, they're a little bit less strict over there. So everyone's kind of, you know, loosening up a bit and, and the tourism industry is starting to pick up. And so that's kind of cool. There's like temples and stuff. But if you watch, there's this like video on on YouTube with Anthony Bourdain going, traveling to Burma or Myanmar or wherever, and he takes this train. Oh my God, it's freaking terrifying. The train is like a hundred years old. It's like made of wood. It's not really, but it's, it looks like it's like falling apart. It's missing wheels, parts of the track are bent and you're riding it and it's, terrifying just to watch him ride it. So I said to Sarah, whatever we do, there is no way that I'm riding this train. I'm not I'm not doing the video justice. Like when I say it's terrifying, it's it's really an understatement because this train is barreling down this track with reckless abandon. The the train is bouncing off the track. It looks like it's going to derail at any moment. People have to like hold on to something because they're being bounced out of their seat and and the sound, it sounds like the the thing is going to fall apart. It's, uh, it's hard to watch because you're like, damn, it's so scary. And then it gets like, and then it rides through the night. So it's like pitch, pitch black and uh, you got to sleep on that thing. It's like, uh, no, thank you. So we're going to try to take a plane. I'm assuming the planes are going to be just as bad, but whatever. I mean, I don't want to be on that train. I'll take my chances on the plane. So... Oh, by the way, the last movie I saw is World War Z, not, not Man of Steel. World War Z is awesome. I highly recommend it. Anyway, uh, I, I remembered that because there's a, a scene where they're on a plane that didn't turn out well. That's why I thought about that. And uh, so, yeah, that's in October, going for a month to all those places. And, yeah, I guess that's it. That's about it. I don't want to ramble on for too long uh, some of the other podcasts. I have to go back and listen to these things, too, to edit out some of the, uh, you know, like sometimes you'll sneeze or something or you'll have to edit that out or you cut some things out or you say a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense. You cut that out. So when I go back and listen to it, I find it painful sometimes to listen to myself speaking for an hour. But so I try to cut it short. This one's running for, I don't know how long, going half an hour or something. So hopefully that's not too bad. Uh, I just started using my Instagram again because I didn't like how their policy was that they would Take your photos, and then like this is in January. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna use your photos. We own all of them." And then after a backlash of negative criticism, they rescinded that. They're like, "Oh no, 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 we won't do that anymore." But still, you had the creepy idea to think that was okay at one point, even though you don't do it. You're still a creep. So I keep I kept my Instagram open just to look at some of the people I follow, like Ronda Rousey and henner Gracie and and stuff like that. And then I thought, well. I may as well just post some photos here and there. So I posted a photo last night of uh, Sarah reading a book and the cat was about to... Well, it looks like he was about to attack her, but he was just walking. And uh, yeah, if you want to own that photo, I don't care. I'd, I won't post any of my good photos. I'll just post some kind of cat photos and stuff like that. Also, which reminds me, if you... the The recent E3, which is like this electronic convention that happens once a year where a bunch of like the software or like the gamers uh, developers come out and they they launch their new products and their you know the Xbox One and the PS4 and all these new games well anyway the Xbox One they announced a price point of I believe $499 and you couldn't they had a bunch of really weird restrictions like you had to use Wi-Fi you had you couldn't lend games out to people because you had to register the game. They were trying to prevent piracy, game piracy, and I can understand that. So they say you can't lend games. You have to log into your account and play it, so you couldn't just sell it online once you're done with it. So that was really lame. A bunch of other restrictions, I, I can't remember. I think those those are the two ones, the Wi-Fi, the not lending of games, and maybe there's a third thing. Well, anyway, uh, PS4 didn't have any of those restrictions, and its price point was $100 less, and, oh yeah, and I think Microsoft was being kind of snooty about it too. Somebody's like, well, hey, can I play my my games without the internet? What if I don't have the internet? They're like, oh yeah, well, that's okay. We we have a system. We have a console for people like that. It's called the uh, uh, Xbox 360. Kind of like, go fuck yourself. So that didn't really sit well with a lot of people. Uh, there's a huge backlash. The numbers of PS4s that were sold like dwarfed the amount of Xbox ones that were sold. So X or uh, Microsoft a week later changes their tune. They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah. Um by the way, all that stuff we mentioned yeah, we were we changed our tune on that. Um you don't have to have a Wi-Fi connection. You can lend your games out. No, hey, no big deal. Let's just forget that crazy talk that we talked about last week." Uh, so so that's kind of the idea of like a creepy company. Well, a creepy decision and then the backlash of people and they change it but it's like well you still had that creepy idea so that's kind of where i was going with the instagram thing it's like you should run you try to run an ethical company where you do things honestly and for the customer don't try to screw them over you'll be way more successful and way happier in life come on don't fuck with us don't, don't try to screw people over. It's it's not going to be healthy for you or us. And and then I think I've posted, if you go on my Twitter, at Writer Mullen, I post this article. I believe I posted it. I can't really remember. I think it, I think I did. And if I didn't, I, I'll go back and, and uh, tweet it. But it's this Rolling Stone article about Xbox One, I believe, and the Kinect, and how it's talking about the Kinect is always on. Even when it's off, it's on. And it basically scans the room and figures out how many people are in the room and it's just i think the the quote was it's waiting watching and listening what how freaking crazy is that why do i want that in my house that's like the start of some sort of you know technological apocalypse where they where they take over the world like robo apocalypse that's creepy we don't want that shit in our house Counting the faces, and and they're saying like, oh, we want to make sure that there's no ten people in the room that are I don't know what the fuck their, their argument was, but it was it was really stupid. Moral of the story: uh don't be a creep. Well, there's no moral. Do your do do whatever you want. I think I've uh, spoken long enough. Let's see if I can do a couple of these podcasts a month. I don't know whatever. I sit down today. I thought, well, I'll do a podcast because Sarah's out of out of the house. The house is quiet. But I have nothing to talk about, so I just try to ramble on about nothing and see where it ends up where it ends up. I got into some philosophy, which may be kind of boring to some people, whatever. Uh yeah, hope you like it. Let me know if you listen to these things. Let me know if you read my books. Let me know if you follow me on Twitter. Let me know you exist. I'm just a dude out there trying to, you know, connect with some people. Not in real life, but internet form. Well, whatever. I, I don't mind meeting people, but I'm kind of a real I just sit in my room and, and write and make podcasts and stuff. Well, that's not true, but you know what I mean. Anyway, thanks for listening. edwardmullen.com, Art of the Hustle, Destiny and Free Will. Buy those books. It really helps me. It supports me and allows me to continue to do what I love. Okay, peace.